Welcome back for another episode of the Playsheet Podcast. Joe, I was half expecting a text to say that you were giving birth to another child, but there's a nine-month cool-down period on that one. You've made it, Joe. How are you feeling? That's not very nice, Charlie. At least the Vikings made playoffs, yeah? Yep, that they did. Um, But we're going to do things differently this time around, Joe. We're not going to necessarily go into the details of every single playoff game that we witnessed in the wildcard round. We're going to talk about the losers of the wildcard round and where they go from here. Sure thing. Let's start off with the Los Angeles Chargers. Massive, massive bottle job. Uh, 27-7 up at the half. And they managed to lose that game 31-30. It's the biggest comeback in Jags history, the third biggest comeback in playoff history. I thought these Chargers were going to stick on a Falcons outfit at the end because this was uh, this was <laughs> shades of Super Bowl three all over. What do this Chargers team need to do to go a little bit further next year? What do they need to do to get into the big game? There's a few things with this Chargers team. It, it feels like every single season there's something there, but there's always a few key crucial pieces that are missing I mean we criticize the defense year in and year out and I think you've got to say when you're 27-7 up to then lose 31-30 you've got to be throwing some shade at the defense there and then as well I think the wide receiver issue is it's very hit and miss you know you've got people there like Mike Williams who he can have a stormer one game and absolutely go off with multiple touchdowns and then other games go completely missing other games he's injured there's no real depth there and I think they're probably two of some of the biggest issues that that the Chargers are facing but then you know that's like saying offense and defense right they've, they've got holes in that team yeah, you picked up on a couple of things there. I mean, how many games have we seen this season where Keenan Allen and Mike Williams have actually been on the field at the same time? It seemed like as soon as Keenan Allen came back, Williams went into the medical tent. So you're absolutely right. We need more depth there. And I think they ended up playing players like Goiton and these kind of guys, guys who are practice squad players for other teams that's just how far the depth chart they had to go and another wide receiver is on the cards you touched on the d and yeah sure they need an edge rusher i'm not necessarily blaming the d for uh, tanking this game because ultimately your offense keeps your d off the field and the offense didn't do that either but something we seem to pick up every season is coaching and it doesn't matter who the coach is, but the coaching was a big problem in this game. The play calling was too conservative at times, you know, kicking on fourth and three in the fourth quarter when had they gone for it, they could have closed the game out. And this was a, a team where the play calling wasn't balanced. We had 23 rush attempts to 43 pass attempts. Now, for me personally, another gap in this team is running back. I know that Austin Eckler is highly rated. I know he finds the end zone a lot. But he never has been a power back. He's always been undersized. And I think that in certain situations, Austin Eckler isn't the man you want on the field. But he's a man who they've got there since they've made him basically the bell cow for this offense. Do you think that Brandon Staley is going to have this job by the end of the offseason? It's a good question. I suppose it really depends where the Chargers want to go from here because they're in that horrible mid-tier limbo where they're just making playoffs but they don't have enough to carry it on and do they look to try and push forward with what they have or do they look to take a step back and reset? I think his tenure is becoming more difficult to defend. So I would say probably not. 
Yeah, and this isn't a team which is in the window in the sense of a team that's loaded with rookie talent on the cheap, a true window by how we define it on the show. There's actually very little in terms of young, young talent, which is on this team. A lot of it has been built through free agency. You look at players that have bought in like Khalil Mack, like JC Jackson. So maybe now is the time to blow things up a little bit, get rid of some of those veterans who are, you know, quite highly paid and start things over. Well, you talk about Khalil Mack there, Joe. And again, I suppose it's very difficult where you draw the line of, do you ask questions of the defense or do you in fact praise the opposing offense? But you had Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa going at Jags left tackle Walker Little and Walker Little had 39 pass blocking snaps, zero pressures allowed from Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa that game. I mean, that feels phenomenal to me. So in that situation, are you expecting more of your veterans there or do you just go hats off to walk a little? I think let's not let the result get in the way of what actually happened in the first half, though. The first half, Trevor Lawrence threw four interceptions and a lot of those interceptions came from a pressure they made up front. One of the interceptions was a tipped pass. I think there may have been two tipped passes there for the interceptions. So... The defense was working the first half. It, it was just the coaching and the ability to sustain it, which ultimately was a downfall. So I don't really have a problem with what those veterans were doing. I'm I'm not looking at Mac or looking at Bose or looking at, any, at anyone like that and thinking they should have done more. But this team still doesn't have all the pieces there. It doesn't have the depth. It still has gaps at certain positions. And it just seems every season since we've been doing this pod, we talk about the Chargers coaching. And I think that's the biggest question mark. And once they sort out what they're doing with head coach and whether they're staying with Staley, uh, then we can make an assessment of everything else. Yeah, I think that seems fair. But uh, they are in that horrible limbo situation and it's going to be tricky to decide whether they want to stick or twist, build on what they have or look to start afresh because it feels like they've been pushing in this direction for the past two or three seasons now. They've already changed head coach once. Is it enough to just keep building incrementally? It feels like potentially something dramatic has to happen to get them over the edge in, in any meaningful way here. It's an interesting debate, and that's why we're having it, because we've got these teams here who are on the cusp. You know, I mean, they, they were a playoff team, and they made it very close to getting into the divisional round, but they're not quite there. So there's interesting debates to be had about these teams who just need to adapt a little bit more. Yeah, then we move on to the Seahawks. I mean, arguably very tough draw against the 49ers there. What's your view of that game, Joe, and what the Seahawks need to potentially change? Well, it's perhaps hard to hear if, if you're a Seahawks fan, but I think that you know, ultimately, did you really see your team getting this far at the start of the season? Let's cast our you know minds back to when uh, Russell Wilson was just about to start for the Denver Broncos, when everyone was hyping them up and they were the darlings, when people were saying that a Drew Locke-led Seahawks team was going to tank and they looked like one of the worst teams in the league. But it seems a long, long time ago. Geno Smith has, you know, he's invigorated this team this year. He's set records. He's played well. He's played far better than I think anyone thought he would do. And I think that he himself is probably the biggest question mark on this offseason. I mean, what do the Seahawks do next? Do they give him that contract? Do they decide that his play this season has been enough for them to trust him with the keys for the next three to four years? 
do they franchise tag him and think, hey, we'll look at this guy for another year? Yeah, we'll pay through the teeth for it. It's going to cost probably between 32 and 35 million to franchise tag a quarterback, but at least it gives them that flexibility to move away next year if they want to. Do they maybe even tag him and trade him? I mean, these are the options that they've got there. And I don't have the answers. I think that a lot of this will come down to what the coaches see of him day in, day out, and how much they trust him as a leader. And I think that as good as Geno Smith has been this season, it's not necessarily always been his play that's been a question mark. There's been character questions. I'm thinking about the fights that he had back when he was a jet and that kind of stuff. Can he be trusted? Yeah, and do you know what? I do not hate the tag and trade scenario because I think they honestly got the best out of him this season. We've seen how things went down with Russell Wilson and how the game calling and the offense that they built around him made him shine. He moved on and he really stunk. Then Geno Smith, who no one thought anything of, They've made him look great as well. And part of me thinks maybe you've just got to back the offensive coaching there, the head coaching, the play calling. And in fact, with the draft capital that the Seahawks have, could they get something decent for Geno Smith? Draft potentially another average to good quarterback that they can make work in this system and then be draft capital rich, cap happy and really build the team in other areas. Well, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think the issue is that around the league, I think there's still a bit of a stigma around Geno Smith. Not a major one. People don't turn their noses up and turn their faces away from him. But if you're a head coach and your season doesn't go to plan and you don't get the winning record you wanted, you've then got to explain to ownership at the end of that season that your team played like they did because you traded draft picks away for Geno Smith. And it, it might sound like a all right idea now but is that going to seem like a clever move if he doesn't play to the standard next season if this was a one-off and if he goes back to Jets version of Geno Smith in a year's time and there's not always logic in the decisions that coaches make I think that's got to be in the back of the mind of a lot of the coaching staff out there and in terms of a compensation you'd get for a player like Geno Smith I'm not sure if you get a first for him I'm not sure if you get a first so there's a lot of me that still thinks franchise tag hold him for a year and see what happens. Of course, though, of course, the Seahawks do have that top five pick. They've got that top five pick that they got from the Russell Wilson trade. That should be a top five pick for the Broncos. It's not. Do they draft a QB high if they like what's there in the first round? It's different for the Seahawks. I think back to when we first did our draft show a good few years ago now, and we were talking about the Seahawks, and I feel that that year they had about a third round and a fifth round pick, and that was it. They had no draft yeah. capital at all, and that's been a trend for a couple of seasons. They've got a lot of draft capital this year. They've got a lot of options there. And I think that there's reason to be optimistic with how far this team went when it was relatively unfancied. The fact that a lot of players are still on relatively junior contracts there, there's not a lot of players who are getting paid too much. There's space to build, and there's cap room to do it with. And you mentioned, Joe, that Geno Smith's performance isn't necessarily the thing that has not helped the Seahawks get over the line. Defence, on the other hand, though, do we think there's question marks around that? Yeah, I think there's questions in the secondary for the Seahawks. I think that they weren't generating enough pressure on opposing passes. And that's something that's easier said than done. I mean, true edge rushers, true players who can really disrupt an opponent's O-line, 
they're not common and that's the reason those guys get paid pretty big bucks so if they can draft a really high quality edge rusher that could be what they do with their fifth overall pick you've got players like abrams and Diggs who could be on their way out this team probably needs to draft a safety again safety is not a first round pick probably it's rare for a team to spend serious draft capital on a safety so there's a few gaps they've got to plug there yes the defense does need to be better and yes you're absolutely right there charles they won't go further than the wild card unless they make some serious upgrades there but uh, like i said before i think there's reason to be optimistic about the seahawks team and then joe onto the vikings if you're ready to talk about it I, i'm not really but i'm gonna be a professional and do my best <laughs> good man i didn't expect this result i think most vikings fans didn't maybe we're a bit blind because I think that a lot of people could turn around and say you had a points differential of minus three for the regular season you conceded more points when you scored you're probably not going to win games in the playoffs which arguably is fair enough but I didn't expect this Vikings team to make Daniel Jones look like Michael Vick that's certainly one thing and that is exactly it Joe because I think I would say that most neutrals probably didn't expect the Vikings to go out to the Giants uh, in this matchup yes you're right there may have been questions about how far they could progress because of that differential in the fact that I, I mean they were 11 and 0 on one score games in the regular season and th- that's always going to be a tipping point when it comes to playoffs and you know one and done but that is the best I have seen the Giants perform all season hands down and you know you've got to give some respect to the Giants obviously they stepped up in a big game but We've asked questions of this Viking defense throughout the season and it looked particularly poor the other night. Yeah, and I'm not sure if we're going to do this exercise next week when the divisional playoff teams get knocked out. But I think the Vikings have done probably the best job of keeping Daniel Jones in New York next season. Because the way he played that first half, I'm not saying this with certainty, I've not looked at the stats again, but I don't think the Giants punted in the first half, if I remember correctly. It seemed that every drive they scored on, and not just that, but they were making chunk plays, they were scoring well. This Vikings defense absolutely stank on Sunday night. But it shouldn't do, Charles. I mean, you look at the players on there, and I don't want to get bogged down in names and get too obsessed with names and looking at reputations, but you've got Harrison Smith, who has played well all season. You've got Patrick Peterson, who's played well. Zadarius Smith, Danielle Hunter, Eric Kendricks. There's a lot of talent on this defense. You look at the dusty gems that they've found as well. Players like Duke Shelley. Duke Shelley has been an incredible find at cornerback. He's been making big play after big play. The Vikings won that intensely tight game against Buffalo because of a big play that Duke Shelley made at the end. So there's talent there. There's players making plays. Why did they look so bad? And for me and a lot of the Vikings fans out there, it's Ed Donatel. It's Green Bay trash who came here, introduced a 3-4 scheme for the first time in Vikings history without the personnel to play 3-4. Now, your D-line in a 3-4 scheme is very different to the D-line in a 4-3 scheme, but they didn't really seem to make those adjustments. They just thought that the same players could play the same scheme. They've been playing a too-high safety defensive base a lot of the time, basically with the idea that if you've got two high safeties, you can cut out the chunk plays. The game will be played in front of you, and sure, you might give up six, eight, nine yards. You might even give up first down, but you're not going to give up the home run plays. It's absolutely failed. The Vikings have given up huge numbers of chunk plays. This Vikings D has been statistically, in almost every category, a bottom three defense in the league. And I think you said this at the weekend, Charles, and you're absolutely right in that it's a cliche to say that 
defenses win championships. It's probably true, but it's a cliche. But if you're taking any truth from it, you're not going to win championships with a bottom 3D. You're just not. Yeah. I mean, to answer your questions earlier, Joe, the Giants had two punts all game, and the second punt came right at the end with that drop in the last few you know, minutes of the game. So you're right. And then Daniel Jones's chunk plays, I think he had like a 20 play drive at one point in the game. So you're absolutely correct. It's all those things. And yeah, I, I suppose you do have to look towards the defensive coordinator there. You've got to think that he does not have that job next season. Do you know that um, Daniel Jones didn't throw the ball more than 20 yards once? He only threw it more than 10 yards three times. But this Viking defense was so predictable, so easy to pick holes at, that all he had to do was dunk the ball off time and time again. And just the chunk plays were just happening because this too high safety scheme that, they, that the Vikings were constantly playing was predictable. When you've got two safeties halfway down the field, that leaves only nine defenders up close to the line. And the Giants were just coached far better. They were taking advantage and Donatel looked stupid. So... I think that he's got to go. Don't get me wrong, there's got to be changes in this Vikings team. Phelan has to get cut. Jefferson has to get paid. A lot of contracts are expiring. You've got to look at players like Brian O'Neill, who has been one of the best tackles in the league this season. Other rookies who are starting to enter that third year where they're due money. There's a lot of movement, and I think this Vikings team will look different in many aspects next season. I think they'll still be competitive, but... They're going to go from a problem of having to deal with Green Bay season on season to now probably having to deal with a resurgent Lions team next year. So no guarantees at all that they come back and win the NFC North. It looks like a very hard schedule next year. If it makes you feel any better at all, Joe, the NFC sixth seed is currently on a 6-0 win streak against the third seed. And, is that right? Yeah, <laughs> and your Vikings were part of the winning team in 2019 when they took out the Saints. Yep. So, you know, it was doomed from the start, maybe. Yeah, so, you know, swings and roundabouts. But if we're going to be totally honest about things, the Vikings would have gone into the game next week against what would have been 49ers as massive underdogs there. So... Yeah, they probably weren't going to win Super Bowl, but I still thought they'd get at least one game further down the road. Anyway, let's move on and let's finish off with the Buccaneers, Charles. What did you make of them this weekend? It was painful to watch, to be honest. It was. It, uh, look, I went into this expecting a, a big win from the Cowboys. I think we both did, to be honest. Yep. It looked like, and we mentioned this throughout the season, that finally Father Time had caught up with Brady. The offence was it never really clicked for the Buccaneers and I you know we talk about with the Vikings predictability on the defense I think we've got the same issue with the Buccaneers on the offense how many times do they try and run that ball and I know that they were playing from behind but it was just so predictable it was always going to be a Brady throw a Brady throw so essentially the Cowboys went yeah we'll have some of that we'll rush him we'll pressure him every single time because we're not scared of the run so they never really got on the scoreboard. And then, you know, on the flip side, their defense was just severely lacking at the same time. They couldn't really put too much pressure on, on Dak all game. I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Charles. And this was almost the greatest hits of the criticisms we've leveled at the Buccaneers through this season. You had the Buccaneers being very predictable in their play calling, like you mentioned. And we called that I think around about week six, week seven, we said that if they ran the ball more, mixed plays up, it'd have more success. And they did. 
They did for a little while, and that's when they went on a bit of a win streak. I say win streak, they won the next two games. They've never won more than two games straight this season. And then you're absolutely right with, with the pressure they put at Brady. It's been an open secret. It's not even really a secret. It's, it, it's, it's been the key to stopping Brady is you put pressure through the middle. You collapse that pocket from the inside out, and that's what Brady has never liked through his career. It's defeating Brady 101, and several teams have done it successfully over the last 20 years. And the Cowboys played it off to a T last night, and it's as predictable as these outcomes are. Defense, like you say, it, the depth wasn't there. There's, there's injuries. We spoke about depth uh, preseason, and this was always going to be an issue when you have a team that won Super Bowl in recent past, then having to go and give contracts to those Super Bowl winning players, which just always happens. It means then you can't spend on depth, and they haven't had that depth there for the last two seasons. There's a lot of that Super Bowl winning team now who are coming to the end of their contracts, who are going to be free agents. I think this team is getting blown up in the offseason. You know, not not catastrophically, but this was a playoff team with a losing record. Of all the teams we spoke about tonight, this team was probably the worst during a regular season. Probably toss up between them and the Chargers. No, the Chargers were better. There's a lot they have to do to fix this team. And... You know, the only thing they've really got going for them right now is that the rest of the NFC South for the whole isn't very good. And then, look, we're not going to talk about Miami or the Ravens because, in fairness to them, neither had their starting quarterback this week. Feels kind of harsh to judge either of their games. And to be fair... I do just want to talk to you about uh, Lamar Jackson, though, Charles. Go for it. I want to get your view on that. What's the play there? First of all, first things first. Should he have been out there? Should he have been trying harder to get on the field? Yeah, I think no. Again, I think Huntley had a, an admirable game. And you can always blame it on luck or a twist of fate. But with that reach over the end zone, which was like returned bloody 99 yards for a touchdown the other way. If that didn't happen, that was a totally different game. They might have won it despite Lamar Jackson. I don't think that rushing potentially your future franchise and this is obviously the debate we're getting onto but rushing him back when he's not healthy I think they made the right call if they want to take him forward keep him healthy bring him back with when you've got a real chance to fight because they've suffered with injuries all season I say get people fit again and try again next season there's no point struggling through and repeating what you had this season with just repeat injuries coming back well I think despite even what the Ravens wanted Jackson would have always been right to say he's not going to play. And I think that RG3 summed it up best in a tweet which he did. Now, RG3, you go back in the pre-Kirk Cousins days, he was you know, the great hope for the Washington Redskins as they were at that time. He was an electrifying rookie, uh, played great his first couple of seasons, then injuries took their toll. He played a game basically where his ACL and LCL were absolutely in tatters. And that ultimately led to a secondary injury which finished his career now why should Lamar Jackson commit to the Ravens when he's not 100% when the Ravens clearly haven't committed to him and given him a contract that he wanted why go and risk your health risk your future earnings when you may never play for them again so extremely selfish don't get me wrong extremely selfish and if he does come back to his team he's got to look those plays in the eye but I think deep down the locker room would probably be on his side, really, because I agree, yeah. they're all in that same boat, really, aren't they? 
sure it's not the same scale sure they're not getting paid as much but they all have careers they all have to extend those careers for as long as they can and avoid injury they know where Lamar's coming from yeah 100 percent. so yeah I agree with that and we'll see whether they bring him back or not next season but I think they've got a good team there the run game looked solid against the Bengals you add Lamar Jackson back into that mix with the running talent they've got with the strong defense and you know, maybe next year it's a different story. I think you let Lamar Jackson go. Uh, I just don't know what the Ravens become then because I think you need Jackson to take it to the next level. I think so. And I don't know why you wouldn't pay him. Now, there's always seemed to be this narrative about Jackson and his character. And uh, we've touched on it before. I feel it's quite controversial here, but I feel there's a level of racism there. He's black. But he's not the same kind of black as someone like Patrick Mahomes. And I'm not going to talk about things that I don't have lived experience of. But Lamar Jackson comes from lower social economic backgrounds. And I think there's always been this feeling that, is he the right kind of character fit to lead a team? Does he have the personality traits that allow him to have leadership, that grant him leadership? And I think, personally, it's extremely unfair and offensive because he's been nothing but a quality player. He's avoided controversy. So give him the keys. Pay him. Because because another team will pay him. And like you rightly say, this Ravens team is not the same Ravens team without Lamar Jackson. Did they win a single game that Lamar Jackson didn't start? They might have won one, did they? You won maybe one out of a three or four. Yeah. Uh, this team doesn't win. I don't think this team goes to playoffs without Jackson. As, as good as Tyler Huntley is, and we've said for a few seasons now that he's a potential starter for a, a, a needy team. He's a, a very, very good backup. But Lamar Jackson is this Ravens team. And if they lose him, they lose, in my eyes, a, a top five quarterback who, despite being a top five quarterback in this league, is underrated still. All right then, Joe, let's look ahead to next week. We won't go through all the games, but like we did last week, any upsets there that you see? Do you think most games are going the way of seedings and which games are you most looking forward to? I know this is very unlike me because uh, ever since we've done the pod, I've had a reputation for being quite anti-Cowboy. I think the Cowboys are going to do with San Francisco 49ers. And, and this is the matchup I'm looking forward to most this weekend. It's a classic matchup. It's the Giants of the 90s, the 49ers, the Cowboys. Those teams that basically won most of the Super Bowls from the late 80s through to the mid 90s. I'm really looking forward to this. And in my eyes, Brock Purdy, as good as he has been, and I don't want to take nothing away from a play that he's done in what his five, six starts uh, so far. I don't want to take anything away from him. But has he had a defense who have really been in his face, who've collapsed that pocket around him, who've put him under pressure and given him proper challenge, proper obstacles to overcome? I don't really feel that he's faced that adversity to the extent he will face it this weekend against the Cowboys. Now, if he faces that and overcomes it, then then yeah, then let's start talking about him as being this generation's Brady found in a later pick and uh, all of that kind of stuff. But... I have a feeling that this Cowboys team is going to really cause him issues and really put him on strain. And I think that they've got the offense to score enough points to do the other side of the equation. So I think it's going to be a fascinating game. And I'm really looking forward to that Cowboys 49ers matchup. Love it. Okay, well, I mean, I think I'm I'm going to be on the flip side of you because I think 
Chiefs Jags is going to go the way of the Chiefs. I think 49ers Cowboys is going to go the way of the 49ers. I think the upset games are going to be Bills Bengals and Eagles Giants. Look, it depends on Jalen coming back for the Eagles. He says that his shoulder feels good. He feels good. We'll have to wait and see whether that injury is fully recovered or if he is being rushed back into the position of quarterback. But I think the Giants look good against the Vikings. I know the Eagles have a much tougher defense, but I think if Jalen's not 100% there, it could be quite a 50-50 match. And then Bills Bengals. I think we nearly got a 50-50 match. Yeah, I was. I was just going to say on this one. Uh, I was going to butt in and say, is the Bengals beating Buffalo really an upset? No. If we go back to the game that was called off with Demar a few weeks ago, exactly. The Bengals were up at that point. So, but you're right. It's a 50-50 game, and and so that's why I I, I wouldn't want to call either side winning this an upset. No, but I think yeah. If I was going to pick an upset out of all this, I I. I'd bat the Giants to beat the Eagles over the Cowboys to beat the 49ers. But hey, that's why we that's do this. That's <laughs> fascinating. No, that's, that's fascinating. And, and it's interesting. I, see, see I, I do feel that the Eagles have enough to beat the Giants. I, I, what the Giants' victory last week reminded me of slightly was the Minnesota miracle in a way in, in where a team overcame the odds, won a massive game that no one was expecting them to win. It's been very hard to follow that up. And the Giants were the underdogs going into a Vikings game. They won that. There's so much emotional exertion, so much attention to it, so much hype. To replicate that and place that standard again is very, very tough. I'm going to double down, though, on what I said uh, previously. Should the Cowboys beat the 49ers, I think the Cowboys then go on and beat the Eagles. So I think we're probably both in agreement that this Eagles team, for as good as they looked at the start of the season, are not Super Bowl bound. Are we going to say that, Charles? Yeah, I will. Because I, I think 49ers are going from the NFC. Okay, so really the uh, NFC pick for the PlaySheet podcast is the winner of the Cowboys 49ers. Yeah, yeah I think that's weekend. fair. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Massive. And now we've said all that, what's actually going to happen is that Jacksonville beats Kansas City. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Charles, I'm, I'm massively looking forward to it. We've only got uh, seven games of football left this season. It, 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 it feels sad. We don't even have a Pro Bowl game left now because they've scrapped that. So seven games of National Football League football left and then we're done for another year. So savour it, enjoy it. We've got a great weekend ahead of us. Look forward to talking to you about it next week, Charles. Absolutely. Speak next week, Joe.